0: We come before you um, as your people, the sheep of your pasture. Um, God, you are a good shepherd, um, So we were just reminded, Lord. And in only, only in Christ can we stand. Only in the, in the power of Christ can we stand against the schemes of the enemy. Um, only in Christ are fears stilled and sorrows cease, strivings cease, fear subsides, and God, we just uh, come before you in need. Um, God, we thank you for the picture that, um, um, that, that we are just your sheep, um, hungry, um, needy, um, weak, wandering, and God, without your guidance, um, we would be lost. And so we just ask for your guidance this morning as we open up your word, as we um, seek to be led by you in it. God, would, you, um, would your voice be the loudest voice we hear? Um, God, would your voice be the voice that is leading us? Um, help us to let all other voices subside, God, that we might follow you in your word. Thank you for your word that, that we can come under together and be instructed by, but, but more importantly, just to see who you really are, just to see how good you are. So help us to see this morning how good you are. Um, God, thank you. Um, Pray that you would just speak. Um, And uh, in as much as it's possible, Lord, use me, um, a weak vessel, a weak sheep to do it. So God, um, thank you. Go before us, we pray. All this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. How's everybody doing? That's better than the first service. There's one... Good. Um, I'm glad you're doing wonderful and well. Um, so we are focused on Psalm 23, but verse four is where we're gonna we're gonna focus our time. Um, and I hope you've enjoyed or been uh, encouraged by this series, um, reminded of God, our good Shepherd. And uh, I know I have, and it's just been a blessing to be able to dig in myself and and. Um, and be encouraged. And so uh, we're just going to continue on. And uh, Psalm uh, 23, 4, I'll read this again. I'll read it again. It says, even though, and you can, you can leave your Bibles open to it or on towards it. It um, says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So reading this this week, I thought of this thing that happened to me, this story um, from a long time ago. Uh, I used to be a youth intern in Florida, in St. Pete, and we did a lot of crazy youth events. It was cool to see Stephen up here. I did some crazy youth events with him. Uh, But one of these youth events we did about this time of year is like a Halloween festival kind of thing. Not a festival. It was just an event for kids. Um, And what we did was we got black uh, visqueen plastic And we taped it over all the windows so that there was no street lights coming in. And we taped it over all the exit signs in the upper upper floor of that building in Florida. And so that when you turned off the lights, you literally could not see the hand in front of your face. I mean, have you guys ever been in that situation? Maybe a cave or some place like that. Um, Literally could not see the hand in front of your face. And so this was the environment we thought would be good with like Halloween, sugar-filled, soda-filled students to be in to play games. Um, So we had the lights off. But the best thing was we had the strobe light, and a strobe light that you could turn the adjust the speed of it. And so you could, the slowest speed was like one flash every three seconds. It was like, so like just bright, blinding light, and then pitch black. And then this flash, and then this so it was like crazy. That was, the, that was the environment. We played this game. And um, there was this one kid named Eric. And if there was anything that bad that could happen in a youth event, it happened to this kid, Eric, always. And so um, we're playing this game. It was called Murder. It's a good Christian... Christian game. Um, it's called Murder. And uh, there's a person that comes around, they're, they're it, and they come around behind somebody with their finger and like they slash somebody's throat, and then that person's dead. And, and you try to figure out who the murderer is. Good Christian game to play in youth group. Um, so we hear these screams. You know, I'm manning the strobe light and the music station. We're also playing eerie music just to, to heighten the experience. Um, and screaming and laughing, and, and I, I was down at the end of a hall and I could see the hall. Um, and every once in a while there'd be this flash and no kids and then a flash and then there'd be kids and then a flash and then different kids. And so it was like that. And I remember this time where it was flash, nothing, no, no kids in the hallway, complete, complete darkness. Then I hear a scream and I hear running and then I see another flash and there's Eric like this. Like that. And he's in full like stride, half sprint, pause, like frozen in time like that. Darkness, bam! Flash, he's on the ground holding his face. Darkness, flash, blood coming out of face. Darkness, and the game was over. Um, and the title of the message this week is Don't Run in the Dark. So it made me think of that. Don't run in the dark. Um, that's what I learned from that youth event not to not do that at youth event, but just to that you can't run as fast as you can, even when you're scared, when you can't see, when it's pitch black. Um, And it seems to me that that story um, is a picture of the way uh, we live, the way our culture is. Um, Maybe not the way we live, but, but the way people are living around us. They're scared, frightened people in the blackness, in the dark, Um, anxious that they're going to be the next victim uh, to some metaphorical uh, uh, killer that's just going to grab them by the throat, just waiting for their impending doom, trying to make sense of their surroundings that they can't see, only getting glimpses every once in a while of maybe a truth. That's that's the culture I think we live in. Um, It's a culture of fear. There's a book out, I think, with that title. Um, Some people describe it as a culture of fear. I don't know if you guys agree or if you see that. Um, maybe it doesn't. it's not hard to see. Um, I did an internet search this week on fear and anxiety. And if you want a depressing uh, internet search, do that. And I sifted through a few articles and just made me more anxious, maybe, or depressed as I read them. Um, maybe made me depressed. It made me anxious. I came to one article by Independent, which is an online news source from UK. Maybe you've seen it. The title of the article was How Anxiety Became Society's Prevailing Condition. Secular article. And I read this in that article. It says, according to data from the National Institute of Mental Health, some 38% of girls aged 13 to 17 and 26% of boys have an anxiety disorder. Um, whether whether they're all, every single case is legit, I don't know, but that, that's that that's the uh, that's the statistic. Meanwhile, the number of web searches it went on involving the term anxiety has nearly doubled over the past five years, according to the Google thread trends. The trend line for depression was relatively flat. So anxiety is the new thing. And that's when I stopped my search on anxiety. You don't have to go online to see anxiety though, right? You can go to work, you can drive. You can see stressed out people driving, uh, trying to get to work. Um, you can talk to your neighbors. You can talk to your family members and see anxiety and fear and worry all over the place. Um, you can look in the mirror sometimes and see it. Um, it's, it's everywhere. I think you'd agree. Um, enter Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23 is a poem. Um, It's a song. Psalms are a songbook. It's not a proverb. It's not wisdom literature. David didn't write this for the main purpose of instruction or to show us how to live or what to do. That's not the main purpose or the primary purpose of Psalms. They're not meant for that, but they're meant to show us God in a beautiful, metaphorical, awesome language. It's meant to show us who God is. If you want to see who God is, um, you can go to all of the Bible, but especially in the Psalms, you get this picture of his nature, of his beauty, of who he is. David didn't write this verse as a truth to live by. If you want to avoid fear, um, if you want to be comfortable, go through the valley with God. Now, Psalms could instruct this. That might be the truth we can glean from it, but it's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose is to see God for who he is. This is a poem, and when I read this And when we read this, it should stir in me the same kind of hope and desire and longing for comfort, for protection, peace, and rest with no fear. The questions for me as I read this poem is, are these my words too? Can I say this about God? Do these words reflect the way I feel about my God? Do they put words to how I already feel and know and have experienced him? The psalm isn't telling you to do anything. Um, but in reading it, you're faced with this question, can these be my words too? So this morning let's just look at these beautiful metaphorical words in this psalm. That's what we're gonna do, is just gonna look at them and just continue to ask the question Are these your words? Is this, can you identify, is this your experience of your God? And so we're just going to unpack it like that and look at the different metaphors, look at the different pictures and see who God is and see if that's how we see him. So let's just do that. We'll unpack um, verse four, verse by verse, line by line. First line is, even though I walk through, even though I walk through. The shepherd and the sheep metaphor continues here. Um, there's, the first thing to notice is that this is a walk through the valley and not a stop in the valley shepherds in moving their flocks from a green pasture to another green pasture in a rocky land like Palestine was or is, Um, you have to go through valleys. You got to go through places where predators live. You got to go through places that are dangerous, that are not familiar, and that freaks sheep out, actually. It scares them. Um, It's unfamiliar. They would be nervous. they may be scared, and they cling closer to their shepherd in those cases, and that's the picture here. The next phrase is "the valley of shadow of death," or the Valley, valley of the shadow of death." It's also translated, maybe your Bible has a footnote, um, as the valley of deep darkness." And there's 18 times this word is used in the Hebrew scriptures, Old Testament, 11 times it's associated with deep darkness. As in Isaiah 9:2, a familiar passage you've heard of at Christmas time, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt. In a land of deep darkness, there's that word, on them has light shined. Looking forward to the Messiah, looking forward to Jesus. If you did a word study on darkness in the Bible, you would see that it's not just a physical phenomena of like no light. It's, it's much more than that. There's a cosmic spiritual significance to the way the biblical authors use the word darkness. I encourage you to do that. Just go home. You could do a word search in darkness if you have a concordance or a blue letter Bible. It's pretty fascinating, actually. Um, Darkness. Um, It means the absence of knowledge in places. It's it's the absence of life. It's the place of death. It's where dead people are. It's where they go. It's the ultimate place where God isn't. There is no knowing anything in the dark. It's a place of mystery. It's frightening. It's the unknown. It's being lost. You see the word darkness used those ways in Scripture. Not surprisingly, the word darkness is used in Job in the Old Testament more than any other book, um, over 30 times, or 30 times I think exactly, maybe. Because out of all the people who walk the earth, Job perhaps, maybe other than Jesus and maybe Paul, have experienced the deep darkness of the shadow of death, right? They've experienced it. They've lived it. And so the word darkness comes up. And one, one of those usages, this one of the 30, is Job sixteen sixteen. In a poetic way, he says, My face is red with weeping, and on my eyelids is deep darkness. It's much more than just the absence of light. It's the absence of hope, of life. Sheep have really poor night vision. I had just learned that this week. Um, they're a prey animal. And so they can see all around them, and they're constantly gazing or constantly searching the surroundings for predators. They need to see other sheep with them to not be stressed because they rely on flocking together for protection. That's what sheep do. Um, that's their protection. Uh, and, and today, shepherds will have found out that if you can keep sheep together, like in, maybe in fives or sixes, they don't get as stressed out. They need to be together. So they move them that way together when they have to move them like in trucks or whatever. Um, and, so, and they can see over 300 degrees, like, like a horse or a donkey, they can see almost behind them because they're looking, they're scanning. But that's in the daytime. Uh, they don't like being in dark places where they can't see. They don't like the dark at all. Um, they are reluctant to go where they can't see. Thus, their great need to be very near their shepherd, the one who's guiding them. If they're near their shepherd... They'll move. They'll be okay. They can can be without fear and stress. Next phrase, I will fear no evil. Evil here could mean actual evil, like what's openly opposed to God, or it could just mean any bad thing. It could mean disaster or calamity. That word's translated calamity sometimes, and disaster sometimes, and, and it just could mean any bad thing, not just an evil, like the way we would think evil. So it could be said, I will fear no bad thing, no bad outcome or possibility, no loss, no hurt, sickness, tragedy. They're all included in this word, evil. Then it says for, very important word, for or because. I can fear no evil because this is why. Because you are with me. You are with me. Something else I noticed in reading this, Um, I think it was this week or last week, that the pronouns change from he and his to you and yours. Your. It becomes personal all of a sudden in this verse. It's personal. Psalm 23 starts as David's reflection on who the Lord is and how amazing he is and how compassionate and comforting he is as a shepherd and a guide. And, and it's almost like a poetic journal entry. Um, and then it goes from a poetic journal entry to a poetic letter, like to, addressed to God himself. He starts addressing God himself. "You, You are um, my shepherd. You are the one who protects me. You're the one who's with me. You um, comfort me." And um, it's personal. And again, like Dan said last week and, and a couple weeks ago, um, David didn't write this as a, a shepherd boy. He wrote this as a man who had experienced many dark valleys. Threatened, uh, his life was threatened so many times, so near death. This is a guy who knew what comfort was, l- let alone like, because he was a shepherd, but because he experienced the deep valleys, the darkness. And so he says, you are with me. It's almost as if God's over his shoulder reading it, and he's just saying it to him. You are with me. You are with me. It's personal. Your rod and your staff comfort me. And then the same phrase, I want to highlight the word with. With is my favorite word in the Bible. It has to be. Um, I love the word with in the Bible. Emmanuel, God with us. It's like my favorite word because it's what everything points to. It's what everything, it's the point um, of, of everything God has done leads to Emmanuel. It's why we exist. It's what's, what it's all about. I had pages I had to erase because it's not the point of the thing because I just love this term, with. Everything in the Bible relating to human beings is about it. It's what the gospel points to. First Peter 3, 18, one of many verses you could look at. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God with God, a person. Everything Yahweh, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are about in the Bible, everything he's done is to bring us to be with him. And so when we think of God being with us, we can be comforted. It's the point of our existence. It's the right place for us to be, with us. And then the next phrase, your rod and your staff, still personal, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A rod was a weapon, a weapon, Um, for a shepherd. Maybe about that long. Maybe there was a knob at the end of it, and some of them, uh, but it was a stick, um, or a a staff, or a club. That word could be translated as spear. It was a weapon, and shepherds could throw this. Um, You can go to YouTube and see the Maasai nation in Africa, um, and they have these things. They're called rungus, and they probably are very similar to what a shepherd would have had in the ancient Near East, with like a heavy end on it, so you could throw it with accuracy, and hit a target with deadly force. And they're very accurate with it. They have target practice, it's like a warrior thing. They use them as weapons. Um, and today they use guns, right? Uh, it's a little more effective um, for predators nowadays. Um, they didn't have guns back then. If they did, they would have used them. Um, David used a slingshot, and the, they used weapons. The point is that it was a, it was a, a weapon. And then the shepherd's staff is the thing we think of when we see the picture of shepherds or like the nativity scene. It's the big, long candy cane thing, uh, the big uh, walking stick, but it has a hook on it so that they can guide the sheep with it. They can even grab the sheep gently by the neck and pull it back the way it goes because sheep like to wander. And so they would do that. Or even um, when they're walking through places uh, just to comfort the sheep, they'll just have that staff next to them on their side just to let them know that the shepherd's nearby. That's the way they use it. The point is, we don't have to speculate too much about like, okay, what's the modern equivalent of that? How does God, you know, what's the rod he uses now? It's, it's like, his, it means this. David's recognizing that God is his protection and his guide. It, God provides protection and guidance, and he does it in many different ways, right? David's recognizing that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your protection, your guidance, they comfort me. that's it. That's Psalm 23, 4. So I'm going to ask the question again, can can these words be your words this morning? Do David's words in this verse, in this poem, reflect and capture your experience? We're going to unpack it a little bit further. God, our shepherd, leads us through deep, dark valleys of death. One thing we have to reconcile in our minds with this, with this psalm is that God is the one who leads us into deep, dark valleys, valleys of the shadow of death. Our good shepherd is leading us into the valley. Why would he do this? It's terrifying. That's where sheep die. That's where people get hurt. But the Lord doesn't just lead us to the valley, right? He leads us through. It says the word through the valley, not just to it, but through it. Sheep starve if they don't go through the valley because there is no other green pasture coming if they don't walk through valleys to get to the next one. And if they stay put in the existing green pasture, they run out of food and they die. Sheep die when they stay put. They don't move. Like last week, you saw a sheep cast on its back, and when sheep can't get up and move, they die. In fact, though, the the luscious ground um, is often by a stream in the bottom of a valley. Right, most of the grass grows there, And and God, when He leads us through, there's always there's nourishment on the way too. Maybe the best. It's the metaphor. Here's the deal, though. There's no choice. This is how life is. If you haven't walked through deep darkness like death or cancer or chronic illness or pain or brokenness or divorce or Alzheimer's, um, rejection, abandonment, you will. If you haven't walked through that yet, uh, you will it's a matter of living because life is a marriage of both beauty and brokenness of both green pastures sometimes there's green pastures and we can celebrate those and sometimes there's dark valleys right if you've just live longer and you'll see more and more of each one of those maybe more of one than the other depending on god's providence in your life the question again can these words be your words And let's bring up the happy topic of Job again. Maybe the words in this poem this poem that I'm about to read from Job reflect your experience more. Job 10, 18 through 23. Why did you bring me out from the womb? Would that I had died before any eye had seen me, and were as though I had not been carried from the womb to the grave. Are not my days few? Then cease and leave me alone. He's speaking to God here. That I might find a little cheer, a little cheer, just a little cheer before I go. And I shall not return to the land of darkness and deep shadow, the land of gloom and thick darkness, like deep shadow without any order, where light is as thick darkness. Or maybe this, Job one twenty one. naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or Job 2.10, shall we receive good from God and not receive evil? There's that word again, bad things. If he has a, a valley in front of us, shall we not receive that? We must deal with this providence of God taking good things away from us because Job exists. How many of us would be able to handle life better if Job didn't exist? Like I could almost pray with him. Yeah, it'd be better if you weren't born because now I have this example that I have to think about in the Bible. Wouldn't it wouldn't be much easier for my theology if, if that never happened and I could just go on thinking that God doesn't, you know, God, that doesn't happen. Wouldn't it be easier? God took away everything from Job, except his life. The one thing God, wanted, God uh, one thing Job wanted God to take away, his birthday, he who didn't do, he took it all away. Job said, the Lord is taken away, and then after that it says he did not sin with his lips when he said that. He spoke rightly about God. That means he was accurate when he said God took it away. He didn't lie. He didn't attribute some bad thing to God that wasn't true. So what do we do with that truth? What do you do with that? Do you just say, "Well, that was a one-off thing that happened, you know, a long time ago"? God doesn't deal with us anymore. That was just an example He wanted in that one man, um, but now God doesn't do that anymore. Really? How small I was wondering would our Bibles be if we could take out all the uncomfortable parts? If we could just remove all those kind of mm, cringy parts, those uncomfortable parts, like Job. Uh, our, our, Bibles would be small. And I think many of our Bibles are that size. You know, there's certain parts of our Bible that are trafficked more than others. The comfy parts, there's more, there's more writing in that. And there's more rips and tears on my pages on that, on those parts. But I kind of skip over those Psalms that talk about like, God, you know, would you slay the wicked? You know, uh, those kind of things. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about him taking things away. Um, I'm glad they, when they decided to put the canon of scripture together, they didn't consider comfort um, as 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 a deciding, determining criteria because our Bibles would be like 100 pages long. There is no reason to think, and here's where the message gets really, uh, yeah. There is no reason to think that I won't die before every person in this room. That's a thought I had this week. It's a truth. There is no reason to think, all things being equal, that I won't die before any person in this room. Why would I think that? What makes me so confident? Is it my age? You know, I'm 46. Um, doesn't matter. Uh, what about uh, anything could happen, right? There's no reason to think that. There's no reason to think that your life won't be snuffed out in an instant before you get home. What is keeping that from happening today? What is really keeping you alive right now? What are you doing that's preventing a brain aneurysm from taking you? What's holding your life together so as to ensure that you'll have a, you'll live to a ripe old age of 90-something, and you'll be married for 65 years, and you'll get to see your kids and your grandkids and their children and, and, and happy marriages and PhDs, and, and then you get to die, and you're in your bed with your spouses, 65 years, holding hands, and the next moment you see Jesus, you die together. What, is, what choices are we making today to get that dream to happen? Can we really do that? Can we make that happen? There's no reason to think that we're guaranteed to make it out of this building today. Is there? What guarantee? Tell me. Can these words be your words? I will fear no evil. Does this mean that I won't experience the emotion of fear? Does this verse uh, mean that as long as Yahweh God is with me, I won't feel fear? No. Fear isn't the opposite of faith. Fear is neutral. Fear is not bad. Um, Fear is not bad. It's an emotion that God actually gives us. Um, you can't control emotions um, to a point you maybe can at the results of them, right? But sometimes you need to feel fear. Like when you're faced, uh, face-to-face with a grizzly bear, um, a mountain lion, a middle schooler, you should feel fear. Um, you're out of control. Um, you feel fear, and it's a thing that God gives us. Fear is not evil. It's what you do, as a result. There's a relationship between fear and control, uh, and it's this. Fear happens when you, uh, when you encounter something that you can't control. That's, that's what causes fear. When you feel out of control, you feel fear. The more of a lack of control, the more fear you have. I think you know that's true experientially, right? Right? And so the truth is, the, it's like a law, like gravity. We fear most what we control the least. What we control the least, that's, those are the things, that's the thing we fear most. And when we come across something scary um, that we can't control, we have two choices. Um, one, we can try to take control of it ourselves by either avoiding it, running away from it, running in the darkness, or by fighting it, by attacking it with all that we have. Or, number two, we can give up control to someone else who can handle it. So, try to take control over it ourselves or give up control to someone else. Those are our two choices. And when David says, I will fear no evil, he means he doesn't have to act in fear. It's an action, it's a function, not just a feeling. He doesn't have to run in the dark. He doesn't have to take control himself because he's with the one who is in control. He's with the one who brought him to this place in the first place. And it could be, just just might be, that God purposely brings us to places of deep darkness so that we're out of control, so that we can see the one who is. You and I are not in control. We're not. Not of our futures, not of our health, not of our days and minutes, not of our kids or our spouses, our country, our safety. We're not in control. You and I are not in control. Ironically, the more we think we are in control, the more fear comes, actually. The more we try and take control, the more fear will well up within us, because we've bought into this lie that we, we can be in control, but what happens when we do everything right and our fears are still realized? More fear happens, because our plan didn't work. That's why we're so anxious in our culture, because we all have this lie, we believe this lie, if I can make the right, researched, educated decisions based on all the books, percentages, and statistics... My fears won't have to be realized. It's a lie. A friend told Lori not long ago, I don't get it. I fed my girl everything healthy. She never had any sugar and junk. We were so careful monitoring her diet, yet she has all these health issues. Yet all my friends or kids are eating hot dogs and boxed macaroni and cheese and are completely healthy. She made good, informed choices. I worked on a job site with a guy who collapsed and died on the job site of a heart attack a week before his retirement after 35 years of working in this construction trade. He saved, he scrimped, he invested, he made retirement plans to live off that money, relax, and finally live the dream, and he made good, informed choices. A month ago, a healthy guy my age from our sister church in Mountain View in Fort Collins died suddenly of a brain aneurysm. leaving his wife and four kids. He made good choices in life. He was educated. He was healthy. We know a godly couple, the perfect parents, a pastor and his wife. They taught their kid the gospel through word and deed, were present in his life, role models to everyone they knew. They made all the right gospel-centered parental choices. Their kid walked away from Christianity, and his parents, they made all the right choices. Nine years ago, I worked my tail off every day. I I excelled. I did extra. I moved up the ladder. The economy tanked. I got laid off. I did everything right. We're not in control, but we can walk with the one who is. We're not in control, but we can walk with the one who is. Can these words be our words? David also said this in another poem, Psalm 27, a little bit later. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Jesus entered the valley of the shadow of death. Knowing God is with you Trusting in Him implicitly doesn't keep you from experiencing fear. All you have to do is look at Jesus in the garden, garden, sweating drops of blood to know that that's not true. Was He not following His Father? Did He not do everything right? And He experienced a fear you and I will never know. If you are in Him, you are a follower of Jesus, you will never know the fear Jesus experienced there. The psalm is for you isolation, being forsaken, not hearing the voice of God, his back turned on you. There is no darker valley than that. That is the fear of hell. Jesus experienced that hell, the hell of not being with the one he'd always been with. He had to experience the darkness to be the light of the world, the light in the darkness. Matthew 27, 45 says this. Now from the sixth hour, that's 12 o'clock, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. In the middle of the day, three hours of darkness. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. I'll read the English. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit or his life. It looked like the light of the world had been snuffed out. They laid him in an empty tomb. Not even another dead person to keep him company. A dark, dark place. Such as he'd never seen before, the world had never seen before. Ezekiel 34, we've referenced this many times. God speaking to these bad shepherds of Israel, saying, I'm going to be your shepherd. Listen to what he says, Ezekiel thirty-four, twelve. As a shepherd seeks out his flock... When he is among his sheep, among, with his sheep, he came to be with his sheep. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And that was that day, that, that was the culmination of that. He entered that darkness, that deep, dark valley for you and I for all those who follow him, who, all those who draw near to him. David wrote Psalm 23 before the cross, before his Lord and shepherd walked that valley, the valley of the shadow of death, alone, so that we would never have to. Um, right now I'm going to do, just ask us to, um, there's a video that I want you guys to see. Um, It's a song written by um, Andrew Peterson, awesome songwriter, and I just think it's a song that just speaks into this, and um, there's no lyrics up there, so you're gonna have to listen closely, but, um, and they'll turn it up loud so we can hear it, but just let this song just uh, encourage you, and then I'll come back up and pray. and then the band will come up and we'll sing one last time. I think of the words of a song we sing so often. Um, all our sickness, all our sorrows, Jesus carried up the hill. He has walked this path before us. He's walking with us still, turning tragedy to triumph, turning agony to praise. There's blessing in the battle, so take heart. Stand amazed. Rejoice. When you cry to him, he hears your voice. He will wipe away your tears. Rejoice. In the midst of suffering, he will help you sing. Let's sing together. Stand.